So today for our sermon, we're continuing in our series. We've been in this series for a while, taking a look at, at the church and church life, and, and really from a biblical perspective saying, what should the church, what should church life look like? What should it be like? And we've been in the series for you know quite a number of weeks now. We're sort of nearing the end. Uh, it's just this week and, and then next week. And what I want us to focus on now as we're thinking of the church, church life, what the church should be and look like is this. The church as a people who lovingly care for others. And as we talk about this, we're going to look at a number of scriptures. You can even see them there in the bulletin. If you want, you can flip there and save the page, mark it so you're ready to, to read it when we get there. But, but what I want us to, to do before we even get to the scriptures is sort of put this in our, our current context now. As we're talking about the church as a people who lovingly care for others, I want us to, to recognize the times that we're in. And certainly, in any time, there's plenty of need all around us, all around the church, through all of history. We live in a broken, fallen world, and, and there's hurt, and there's need, and there's suffering. And, and so uh, we're always, as the church, to, to, in love, reach out and care for others and meet their needs and care for those who are hurting. But we're living in times where there's a particularly uh, greater need and greater suffering and hardship. People are struggling all the more as we're uh, in the midst of a pandemic. And even if you can sort of look at it and say, maybe we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and vaccines and so forth. Uh, at the same time, there is still a lot of need. And I mean this locally. I mean it globally, too. It, it's not just sort of something that, that's in one part of the world, but, but we feel it here. I'd say New Hope Chapel has largely been spared by this, by God's grace. And certainly we're thankful to him for that fact. But all, all around us in our country, in Massachusetts, Westboro, neighboring towns, you know, there are people who have either been impacted by the virus directly, maybe they've lost loved ones. Uh, there are people who've maybe lost their jobs because of the economic impact of things, or maybe their hours are down and they're struggling to pay their bills uh, and so forth. And so there's a lot of hurt and, and, and need and, and struggling there. There are people who, even if financially they're doing fine, emotionally, maybe there's the struggle of I'm just feeling alone and isolated from other people, sort of, you know, I'm, I'm cooped up at home and I just need more of that social interaction uh, with other people. There's just a lot of need, a lot of hurt, but, but it's not just here, it, it's globally as well. And I want to even speak to, to this fact as well. And I think something, just to give us one instance, certainly the, the extent of need and suffering and hardship all across the globe as a result of, of the coronavirus pandemic uh, is more than just the one example I'm going to give. But I think this is a great example and it sort of speaks to it in, and illustrates it in a powerful way. But I think one thing that's sort of been lost in the midst of this is, you know, every day you could turn on the news and you could check, you know, where's the death toll, whether it's for Massachusetts or it's for the United States, or maybe you're looking at the whole world. And yet sort of lost in all of that is the reality that, in fact, the death toll is likely as great or greater uh, in regard to additional deaths as a result of starvation because of the economic impact of this pandemic. And, and you don't hear an awful lot about that, but the reality is these are best estimates by organizations that they deal with world hunger. And their best estimates are that every day there's ballpark an additional 12,000 deaths from starvation. And it's significant percentage of those uh, being children as well, young kids. And that's just tragic and, and so sad. And that's every day, again, roughly 12,000. And you can sort of do the math out if you want, you know, get your calculator, do it in your head and say, well, you know, what would that be over the course of a year? If we've been in this pandemic, you know, you could sort of ballpark it about a year. It started a little more than a year ago, but maybe it was about a year that it got sort of, it was ramping up, at least in this part of the world, you know, sort of March, it was ramping up. 
So it's, it's been about a year, and the actual world death toll for the pandemic, for the deaths from the virus itself, is ballpark about two and a half million people. And that's a lot, and that's tragic. And yet, again, lost is the reality. If you do the math for 12,000 a day, and that's not the total starvation death toll. That's the additional as a result of governments shutting things down, uh, you know, businesses struggling, people even of their own accord just saying, hey, we're not going to go out even if things are open. And that affects restaurants, businesses of all sorts, just the economic impact. And we certainly live in a world where it's a global economy, where even if one country does things, that impacts other countries as well. And so even if we're well off here and we have all these, you know, restrictions and so forth, the economic impact can can wind up impacting these, these impoverished countries as well. And so this is, this is not the total death toll, but just the additional deaths as a result of the economic impact. 12,000, multiply that by 365, and, and again, it's been about a year that we've been in that. And it's ballpark four and a half million additional starvation deaths, right? And again, that's, that's more, it's almost double as much as is actually from the virus itself. And yet, certainly, at least my experience has been, you don't see an awful lot of that in the news. Maybe every now and then you could hear some mention of it, but that's huge. And I don't, I, I'm saying this to, just to illustrate the need. I'm not sort of commenting on, well, should these restrictions be happening? Are we sort of taking into account the, the, the damage that's being done, particularly in other parts of the world that are more impoverished and so forth? I'm not sort of commenting on that. I'm just illustrating the great need that has arisen and this is about a 50% increase in, in starvation deaths. The normal daily death toll uh, before the pandemic was around 25,000, now add 12,000, it's about a 50% increase. So there's always plenty of need, plenty of hurt and struggling in our world. Again, it's not just sort of locally and, and maybe our little community, but all across the globe, there's always great need all around us, but it's only been ramped up. There's just all the more need, again, whether it's here in Westboro, Massachusetts, you know, US, but even globally speaking, and certainly if you're talking globally, even greater need as people are literally at, a, at a, an awfully high rate starving to death. And that just illustrates the great need all around us. And I want us, as we're talking now about the church being a people who lovingly care for others to understand we're in a time where there's all the more need for us to reach out in love and care and meet these needs. Again, just so much greater need all around us. And it's an opportunity. It's a tragedy that that's a reality, but it's also an opportunity for the church to step up to the plate and say, hey, we see all this need. We, we got we to the extent that we're able, that we've been equipped, the resources we have, we got we to gotta do our part in love to, to care for these people and help meet those needs. So I want to sort of, to, as we look at scriptures, we're talking all about this, to understand the times we're in and that, that at any time there's great need around us, but all the more so in the midst of this pandemic. So I want us now to turn to our, our first passage. This is from 1 John, and it's chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, and let me read it for us. John writing here says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so he starts off here in this passage that we're looking at saying, hey, this is how we know what love is. We have this wondrous example of love and love in action, and it's Christ, right? He laid down his life for us, and we're to reflect that love. Just as he loved us and loved us wondrously, we are to love as well and love wondrously, even as he says to the point of laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And certainly here, I want to speak to this. John has in mind, especially relationships and love being shown within the body of Christ, right? That, that's most specifically what he's talking about. Christians engaging with other Christians and operating in love and being willing even to, to lay down your, your life for your fellow 
Christian, for your fellow brother or sister in Christ. But that's not to say that this is just exclusively within the church. And if you're talking about someone outside of the church, well, oh, no, you don't have to love them. You know, no, this certainly can be expanded to those outside the church. But there's just a sense in which how much more so should we be loving our fellow family of faith, right? Our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But certainly this can be extended outside as well. We are to love and love wondrously just as we have been loved. And he goes on here and he says in verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Right? Effectively, what he's saying is the natural result, the natural outflow of saving faith is really that you are now a new creation, right? It's sort of a changed heart, a changed way of living. We turn toward the Lord and, and saving faith, and, and we're made new. We're made a new creation in Christ. We have a new heart, new affections, and, and as an outflow of that, we're going to live in a new way. And, and what this should look like is, is part of it, at least, is loving others and acting in love toward others. In a sense, love for others is just sort of a natural result and outflow of saving faith because we're transformed in Christ. And so what he's saying here is, if you're one of those people, right, as he's speaking to the church here, he's saying, if, if you're one of those people, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, again, he's emphasizing within the body of Christ, but again, you can ex expand this to outside of the church as well, we're to do it not just for fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, but for others who are outside the church as well. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's sort of, if the natural fruit and result of saving faith is, is a transformed life and living out love, not that we live it out perfectly, what he's saying is, if you don't seem to exhibit that in your life, in fact, so much so that if you see someone in great need, a brother or sister in the Lord, but of course, this could even be someone else, and you see that great need, and you have the means to help, you have the material possessions, and yet you just have no compassion on that person, take no pity on that person, just sort of do nothing about it, his response is sort of like, do you really belong to the Lord? Right? Because if you really belong to the Lord, you'd be a new creation in Christ, and you'd be living out love for others. That's just the natural result. So if you're not showing that in your life, John's sort of saying, I'm kind of going to doubt whether or not you really belong to the Lord. But I want to emphasize here, as we sort of think about this, this verse, and as we sort of think of our situation, in effect, we in the U.S., whether we think of ourselves as wealthy or not, because perhaps we compare ourselves to, to others in Westboro, which is a fairly affluent town or, or whatever, you can always find someone who has boatloads of money and has more than you, and you can look at yourself and say, boy, I don't have as much, at least compared to that person. But if we sort of look from a global perspective, the reality is basically everyone in this country, or, or nearly everyone, certainly the great majority, overwhelming majority, would be that category of those having material possessions, right, that, that John's speaking of here. If anyone has material possessions, that, that's us. We're here in the U.S., and we have an awful lot of material possessions. We've been blessed by God in that way. And the reality is there are people all around us, whether in our communities or, or if we think globally speaking, we're aware of them, even if we're not sort of, they're far off on the other side of the world. There are people all around in great need, and we need to be having compassion on them. We need to take pity on them. We need to see that need and in love just say, I just can't help but care for you and meet your needs, whatever they are. You see that person in need, and the natural response as a follower of the Lord should be, I just, just as God has shown me such wondrous love, I, I need to respond with such wondrous love and, and just give and care as I'm able. I've been blessed and I have material possessions and I need to use that to be a blessing, not just to hoard it and, and it's all for me and my luxuries and whatever I want, but no, God's blessed me and, and he's blessed me so that I can go and be a blessing to other people and help care for them and meet their needs. 
And then he goes on, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And here he's talking about love. Real love is always going to make itself manifest through actions. As we're going to talk about lovingly caring for others. If you're going to say, hey, I'm going to love this person, it's never going to stay just a matter of words and speech. That's good. Say you love someone, that's wonderful. But if you really love someone, it's going to exhibit itself. It's going to make itself manifest through loving actions, right? And we are called, of course, to lovingly act on the behalf of others, to lovingly care for others. I also want us to turn now to, turn now to Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. This is a passage that we've used quite a bit in this series. And understandably, this is just a passage that's a great example of, of the church. Of, of not just what the church was, that, that first church there in Jerusalem, but really what a church should be and what church life should look like. It's just such a wonderful example. And so naturally in this series, it's been all about the church and what the church should be and look like. We've looked at this a number of times. I want us to turn here again as well. And here's what it says, describing this church there in Jerusalem. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I want to come back in and read just a couple verses. Verse 44 and then, and then uh, for, verse 45 as well. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. So first, there, there's the mindset of sort of my possessions. They're not really mine. They're not sort of hoarding it and this is mine. You know, I, I'm putting my stamp on it. It belongs to me. But there's this mindset of it, it's the Lord's. Everything I have, it belongs to the Lord and it, and it belongs to the church. And if there's any sort of need, it's just sort of it's at the Lord's. It's at the church's disposal. It's not mine. I'm not going to lay any claim to it. Right. There's sort of everything they had, they had in common. And then going on, verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Right. There were people who had need. You can imagine whether it's widows or, or you name it. There were, there were needs within the church. And, and the response was sort of if there's some sort of need, hey, I have possessions. No question about it. I'll, I'll go and sell it. I'll, I'll sell some possession I have. I'll sell a piece of property, whatever it takes. I have some resources. God's blessed me in that way. And if there's some sort of need in a very radical way, I'll, I'll, I'll meet that need in love. I'll care for that person. I'll care for that brother or sister in Christ who has that need in, in eagerly in love. I'll do what it takes. God's blessed me. He's given me things. And, and this is really radical and profound if we, if we think about it. And this is what we're called to. If we think about it, that's probably not how most people, most Christians operate. Uh, probably generally our way of thinking is sort of, we're going to meet all of our own expenses, all of our own basic needs. Uh, this is just sort of the way we operate. You know, I got to pay all my bills and, and I got to take care of everything. And then there's all the things that are sort of luxuries, but we still sort of think of them as necessities. Surely I need TV, cable television, right? And I, I need a new car, even though mine still works. But, you know, it's nice to have a new car. And so we add on all those luxuries that we sort of somehow label as necessities in our minds. But we take care of all of that. And then it's, well, I need my vacation. And then, and then this and that. And this much goes away for retirement. And then you sort of look at, like, what's the, what are the scraps left over? Again, this is how most people operate. You might be different. And generally speaking, I'd say New Hope Chapel is a very generous church. So I'd say probably we're doing better than, than this. But I think this is just sort of generally how many Christians in the world operate. 
they sort of take care of everything they need, they want, and then whatever's left over, it's sort of, those are the scraps that I have left over, and if somebody around me has some sort of need, maybe I'll throw just a small amount their way, and hopefully that can help them, but all too often it's just sort of a small amount that, what does that take care of? You know, they're, they're all set for one day, and, and that's it. I think all too often that's the way we operate, and the way the church here in Jerusalem operated was, was radical and thoroughly different. It wasn't like let me give you a little bit of money here to help you out for, for a day and take care of groceries for a day. But it was, hey, I'll sell, I'll sell a piece of property. I'll sell my land, whatever my possessions are, to the extent even that it was, it was significant sacrifice. It wasn't like, here's $20, you know, hope it, hope it helps you out. This was to the point that there was great sacrifice, selling their possessions, property, to help people in need. That, that's the kind of loving care that they showed toward others. And that's what we are called to show as well. And as I think about this, I even think of the ministry that we've started up, you know, as you think of, well, application. We still have more passages that we're going to look at here as well. But even as I'm sort of thinking of application and so forth, we've even started up a new ministry, Deliver Hope. And that really perfectly ties in with all of this, recognizing that, hey, there are an awful lot of needs all around us. There always have been, but especially in the midst of this pandemic, all the more so there are needs. And so, you know, Marla, certainly the Lord laid it on her heart. And I know other people have been eager to sort of get involved and get engaged and help out. And I know the turnout even just yesterday was great. I heard from Marla that it's like her car's like packed, loaded with cans and all sorts of non-perishable goods. So people are eager to step up and, and engage. But we've started this ministry recognizing there are needs around us. And we are called to lovingly care for others and help to meet their needs. And we recognize we've been blessed in a lot of ways. And so, you know, this is one of those ways and we're stepping up to the plate and I'm, I'm excited to see it. But, but one of the ways that we can really do that and, and live this out, lovingly care for others, whether it's last month and, and, well, this month, but we're sort of at the end of it. This is the last day of February and collecting these non-perishable goods, you know, recognizing there are people who are out of work. People are struggling to pay bills. They're struggling to put food on the table. And, and, and a lot of these soup kitchens, these food pantries, they're, they're short on goods and they need help. And, and to say, hey, we got to see these needs and, and help meet them. And, and we're stepping up to the plate and doing that. And we're going to continue to do this month after month for all sorts of different ministries. I know we already set something out with kind of like a little bit of a, a teaser of what's to come for March, but we're going to be supporting Richard's dad and his ministry. Devaker is his dad's name and Karis, his mom, and, and they have a wonderful ministry there in India. And even as we've talked about sort of not just our needs here, but, but globally, there's just so much need, more so globally than, than just here. Even as I said, to the point of people starving to death, very literally at, at the severe numbers and recognizing that over there in India, there's this great need. They've been hit pretty hard by the pandemic. There's, there's always quite a bit of need there, but all the more so as well. And they're doing a lot of amazing work. I'll just sort of mention it just as, again, a little further information of what's to come for March, but a fantastic ministry and a great opportunity to step up and care for people in need as they're planting churches. That's part of the, the work of, of Harvest India Mission, Richard's dad, what, what, what Devaker's doing there in India, in Visakhapatnam, where they've already planted 160 66 churches, and these are out in remote villages where there's no gospel presence. People there, they haven't heard about Jesus. They know nothing of him, and they're training up pastors and sending them out and planting churches, uh, you know, as his, his father's already pastoring his own church as well. But really what our focus is going to be is on helping their children's home and sort of especially speaking to sort of real needs all the time, but especially in the midst of pan the pandemic. What they've found is they're just ministering in, in, in Visakhapatnam, and as they go out into the villages, there's just children there who, who 
really can't even, there's not enough food on the table for them. There are families where they have kids and they can't even provide them with the necessary meals. And so Richard's dad and mom say, we'll just take these kids in to the extent that we're able to. And they have a children's home where they've taken in 43 kids and they're changing these kids' lives in every way. These are kids who, by and large, or certainly a great number of them, would have grown up probably in the Hindu faith or, or something else, perhaps Muslim, but predominantly probably Hindu. And yet now they're being raised up in the Lord to know the Lord and, and give their lives to him. And, and they're being forgiven and saved in Christ. And, and even in other ways as well as, as you know, they're, they're getting an education. I watched a little video of one girl who's, who's in her, I say girl, but, you know, she's grown up, but in her 20s. Um, I guess that means I'm getting older a little bit. I'm not that old, but when I start mentioning adults as girls, I suppose I'm getting a little older, a little grayer in the, hair, the head. But um, just speaking about this ministry and the impact it's had for her, where she's in her 20s, and you know, she's one who would have been on the streets begging for a living, and all too often that leads to crime just to, just to provide for yourself, you know, whether that's stealing, pickpocketing, you name it. And yet she was taken in here, you know, the gospel was preached to her, she, she gave her life to the Lord, she's, in, you know, very active, engaged in church ministry, uh, she got an education, she's in something like software engineering, something to do with computers, has a great job, and it's like, she would have just been begging on the streets for the rest of her life with, with, with no hope of any sort of advancement in providing for herself and so forth, and again, just a huge impact. And I think of the need in parts of the world like that and just the opportunity to recognize these needs. Again, it's, it's all the more severe. And it's not like taking in 43 kids. That meets the need of that area of, uh, you know, of, of India. I mean, that city where his dad is, that's 2 million people. And then you think of the villages all around it. It's a huge number of people. And there's so many people impoverished. There's such great need. And they're limited by their resources. And for us to be able to this coming month, you know, again, one more way where we can look at the needs around us and just lovingly care for others is see that need. Children who are just in desperate need, who are going to be on the streets, their parents can't provide for them, you know, or, or they're on their own and, and just trying to make a living on the streets begging and to say, man, let's see that need and step up to the plate and, and lovingly care for them by supporting this ministry that's taking these kids in and, and just changing their lives in, in every way. And so... Even as we think of, you know, how can we engage in this? That's just one more way, you know, this, this, this month in March where we can go and support that. If you do want some more information, you can certainly talk to me after, Richard. There's a little more information at the back table. Um, but I want to come back to our scripture here. I couldn't help but share a little bit about that as we're speaking about this sermon topic. And it just perfectly ties in with what we've just done in February with this new ministry, Deliver Hope. And now what we're about to do in March and how we can just practically live out what this sermon's all about through this ministry. So now our last passage, I want us to, to read this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's verses 1 through 7. And I'll set the context for us here a little bit. So what's going on here is Paul is taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. There's this need there in that church, and so he's going around and taking up a collection to help them out. And he's already taken up a collection in Macedonia, and so he's going to be talking about the Macedonian churches, uh, the Christians there, and the collection there as we read this passage. And here in, in 2 Corinthians, he's challenging the, the Corinthian church to sort of step up to the plate and for them to give generously as well, and using the Macedonian churches as an example. So here's what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
right? So he, here's the situation. They're already in some sort of severe test of affliction. We don't know the specifics of it, but they're already under some sort of troubling times, severe affliction. Not only that, they're not a wealthy church. They're, they're rather impoverished, right? That's what it says, right? In their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, right? This is a poor church. It's not like, oh, these wealthy Macedonian Christians, and they got a lot to give, so they gave a lot. They have very little. They have virtually nothing. And yet, even though they have virtually nothing, and they're, on top of that, they're going through a tough time, they're just eager and willing to give and give abundantly and generously. They just recognize, hey, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ over in Jerusalem. And even though we may not personally know them, they're part of our family of faith. And hey, Paul, you're telling us they have needs. You know, we just, we just love them, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we just want to lovingly care for them. And even though we have basically nothing, what little we have, it's yours. And we just want to give it to help meet those needs. And Paul goes on, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Again, their mindset, it's not like, all right, Paul, like you've twisted our arms, you know, we'll give and we'll give as generously as we can. It's like they're begging for this opportunity. They're eager for it. It's like, thank you, Paul. We want to do this. We want to support our brothers and sisters in, in the Lord. We see they have needs and, and we can't help but, but in love just want to care for them. Even if we don't have much, what little we have, whatever we can spare, we just we're eager and love to give it to them and care for them and meet their needs to the extent that we're able to. And then he goes on, in this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Basically, he's giving them this example of the Macedonian church and basically saying, follow their example, excel in giving, give generously, joyfully, right, be eager to do so in support of your brothers and sisters in the Lord who are in need in Jerusalem, right? And I want to see churches all over the place, certainly here at New Hope Chapel, but, but I want to see it more widespread than that. Churches all over the place be like the Macedonian churches, where even if you don't have much and you just have a very little and you're rather impoverished, nonetheless, it's like you just, as you see needs around you, whether it's a church in some other part of the world or even if they're not Christians, you just see that need around you and your response is just an eagerness to give. Even if you have so little to say, whatever I have, I just want to give it. In love, I care about my brother and sister in the Lord in need. I care about my fellow human being in need and I see that need and I just, in love, I just want to, I just want to do what, what I can. I want to help out in love and care for that person and meet that need. That's what I want to see for us, what I want to see for churches all over the place. And as I think of sort of practically speaking, I think one of the things that, that often makes it difficult to sort of step up to the plate and, and follow the example of the Macedonian church or, or thinking of the church that we talked about in Acts there in Jerusalem, in the book of Acts chapter two that we read about, where there's just this radical giving. As I think all too often we can be sort of insulated and sort of separated from the needs of people in the world. And it's not like we do that intentionally. I think all too often it's just sort of the natural dynamics of the world, whether it's globally speaking, you can have a country that's well off like us in the US and, 
and then there are others where there's great poverty, whether it's parts of Africa or Asia, just other parts of the world, and this great need and great poverty there. And even if we're intellectually aware of that reality, it's not in our faces, in a sense. It's easy to, yeah, hear of it in the news, but it's sort of like, then we, you know, life just sort of happens, and it's, it's out of sight and, and all too easily out of mind. It's not like you walk out your front door, and there's literally a three-year-old child who's nothing but skin and bones and days away from starving to death, very literally. That's a reality in parts of the world where you can just walk along the streets, and that's what you see. Uh, and, and it's a lot easier when you're seeing it, it's in your face day after day to, to be moved to compassion and, and take pity on those people. Say, I just, I just, I have to give. But it's all too easy, sadly, for us so separated from it to sort of lose sight of it. Yeah, we know it's happening in other parts of the world, but then life just sort of happens. And again, out of sight, out of mind. And, and I think that even happens in, in, in regard to sort of even needs in, in our own country, in, in our own state or community, where all too often, you know, communities can be very different in, in affluence, where maybe you're here in Westboro and it's not like your goal was to get away from impoverished people, but well, you just wanted a good school system, a nice home, good school system for your kids. And so you pick Westboro to live in and it's expensive. And so all the people around you are pretty well off and you don't see all of the needs. While maybe you have a city like Worcester, you know, pick your city, Lawrence, New Bedford, or parts of Boston, you know, all, often it's in the cities where there is great poverty and there's homelessness and there are people on, you know, at intersections, uh, street intersections begging for money, you know, and, and yet it's easy, it's not like it's necessarily our goal, but it's all too easy to be uh, separated from the need. And when it's not in our faces all the time, day in and day out, we just sort of lose sight of it and we just go about our lives. We sort of know in the back of our minds, yes, there's needs somewhere out there in the world, but we're just too separated from it. And I think one of the, the challenges for us that, that really, we really need to do is to keep it at the forefront of our minds, not to lose sight. If we're thinking we need to lovingly care for whether it's our brothers and sisters in the Lord who have needs or just even outside the church, those who have needs in the world, we wanna lovingly care for them. One of the places where we need to start is not losing sight of them. They can be you know, in other parts of the world, in other communities, it can be easy to forget about them. Again, out of sight, out of mind. But we need to really make an effort to say, no, we, we need to remember the needs of people. We need to keep it ever before us that, that there's great need in the world, great poverty, great need in every way, whether it's materialistic, whether it's uh, emotional, there's just so much great need, spiritual need, people who are separated from Christ, to, to see that need, keep it before us. And as we keep it before us to then just have our hearts broken as we see the hurt and the suffering and the needs and respond just with such great abundant love and, and say, hey, I just, I love you. I care about you. And I, I just want to do my part to help meet your needs and lovingly care for you. And so as I, as I close here and, and give us a, a closing application, I sort of have in a sense already, but I, I want to sort of reiterate it. Let's be what the church ought to be. The church is called to be a people who lovingly care for others, whether it's our brothers and sisters who are in need to lovingly care for them, whether it's just our fellow man in need, we're called as the church to lovingly care for those people. And I wanna challenge us to really be that church. I think New Hope Chapel is a generous church. I think we're doing a great job, but it doesn't mean there isn't room for growth, right? It doesn't mean we can't still grow and say, there are lots of needs out there and we have been blessed in so many ways and we can step it up and take it to the, to the next level. And really, as we see the needs all around us locally, globally to say, hey, I wanna do my part. I wanna do what I'm able to lovingly care for those people, meet those needs.
uh, and do our part in that way. And so I want to challenge us to really live that out. And we can do that as we already did in February with Deliver Hope and the canned food drive. We can do it in March as we support Richard's dad and, and mom, Devaker and Karis and their children's home. And we can do it in so many ways. I don't, uh, Deliver Hope's one of the ways we can do this, but I want to challenge us as well to just even see the needs of people as we just go through daily life. Maybe it's someone in your family and, and there's, there's some sort of need there, whether it's, again, materialistic, maybe it's just sort of emotional, maybe there's, there's just a depression or sadness or loneliness, and, and you can meet a need in that way. Maybe it's a spiritual need, a need for Christ and to hear the gospel and, and respond with repentance and faith and, and the need just to, to have you proclaim that truth to them. See the needs around you, again, in your families, amongst your friends, in, in your neighborhoods, you know, as you're just going about the community, Westboro, Grafton, Northboro, Worcester, you name it, where you are. See the needs all around and do your part as the Spirit leads you just to, to lovingly care for those people who are in need. And I just want to challenge us to faithfully live that out. Let's lovingly care for others in service to the Lord for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, there is so much need in the world. There always has been, and yet it's all the more acutely felt in these pandemic times. All too often we can be separated from the needs. We live in our own little bubble where there are other people who are well off and doing well, and, and, and all too often, even if intellectually know there are needs out there, it's just sort of out of sight and out of mind. Help us not to lose sight of the profound hurt and suffering and need in the world. Whether we see it in our communities locally and it's there, help us to see it. Whether it's globally and to be sure it's there, help us to see that as well and keep it at the forefront of our minds. And as we see the need, Lord, may our hearts just be broken for others. And in love, may we be moved to act. May we lovingly care for them and meet their needs as we're able, Lord. You have blessed us so abundantly. And we, in turn, are to be a blessing to others. And may we do so in service to you. For your glory, in your name we pray. Amen.